I wish I could blame the pandemic. I think the reality is that we've been playing catch up with technology for 20 years. Sticking a, a student in VR and realizing that they've been lost in some other world. They're swimming with sharks or they're walking through the Colosseum in Rome or they're on the International Space Station. And they say, hey, look, I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed sitting in the seat next to Neil Armstrong as they launched the Saturn V rocket. How do I make those kinds of experiences? Humanity has never been more immersed in technology. But as digital influence grows in every single aspect of our lives, debate continues to rage about tech's role in the classroom. So the first question you might ask is, why would we use this technology? Why are we going to bother? And the argument, of course, is because our students are going to have to live with technology in society. And sometimes you get some strange interactions with technology. Sometimes you get school principals or teachers saying, well, I'm going to ban mobile phones from my classroom. And that seems to be at odds with the way that technology is going these days. Because technology these days is such a big part of what we do every day that the idea that you would ban a mobile phone from your classroom just seems the antithesis of the 21st century. And so I think rather than banning technology, rather than saying we shouldn't have technology in our classroom, what we should be doing instead is we should be saying, how can we use technology effectively in our classroom? That is Michael Cowling, who is an Associate Professor of Information and Communication Technology at CQ University. Michael's an award-winning educator. And that audio you just heard, it's part of a presentation sharing his considerable expertise on using extended reality with students for a Study Australia Masterclass. It's on YouTube and the link is in the show notes. So Michael is obviously all about tech. He's even got an alter ego, Professor Tech. And that point he makes about using tech effectively, well, Michael says it all comes back to research which is the reason for this podcast, discovering how CQ University's researchers are making huge impacts with their vital work. I'm Mary Bolling, and this is series two of CQ University's Impact Research Podcast. And in this episode, Michael shares his insight for taking tech in the classroom beyond just the wow factor. More than that, Michael tells us how a huge health battle in the midst of the pandemic helped him focus on the importance of making human connections in education, even when it's through technology. Michael's passion is a great reminder of the tech power we're all holding in our hands and how we can harness it for good. Hi everybody, I'm Michael Cowling. I'm officially an Associate Professor in Information and Communication Technology here at CQ University. Um, and I predominantly do research in the area of educational technology. So one of my main roles is, is doing that. But most people probably know me because I'm a national teaching fellow. I won an award last year from the Australian Awards for University Teaching, the Award for Teaching Excellence in Physical Sciences. Uh, and if you're a school kid, you might know me because I'm Professor Tech and I go to a lot of schools doing outreach with school kids in VR and AR and mixed reality, as well as running a workshop series called Weaving Technology into the Fabric of the Classroom for K-12 teachers to help them think about how they might use technology in their own classroom. Okay, so that is 
a lot, Michael. Congratulations on that award as well. Um, as you said, it's an award for your teaching, but this is a research podcast. So, can you explain how, like you said, getting into the classrooms and your current teaching projects actually overlap with the research you do? I think ultimately everything starts with research. Even though at the moment I'm a teaching scholar, it all does start with research. And my, I have a, a PhD, a, a doctorate, and I, I'm very conscious of, of research as the driving force for a lot of this work. And in my work, that usually involves evaluating uh, pedagogy and practice through learning and teaching. And so I say that I'm an educational technology expert. And part of that involves trying things in the classroom and then evaluating the effectiveness of those tools in the classroom. And so we did a project a few years ago with paramedics and we tested whether or not augmented reality and virtual reality would help paramedics to be better at the skills that they have to have as paramedics, in this case, laryngoscopy with foreign object removal. And the end result was that, yes, they are better as paramedics if they get the opportunity to use this tool to practice those skills. That is a great example. And yes, you want your paramedics to be as good as that as they can be. So great to hear. Um, so let's talk about the technology. We keep hearing that humanity has never been more plugged in. We're more connected than ever. And if that didn't feel real to anyone before 2020, I think the pandemic definitely took our reliance on tech into overdrive. But in your space, in schools and in our education systems, is it playing catch up with technology a bit? And if so, does the research tell us why? Look, I wish I could blame the pandemic. I think the reality is that we've been playing catch up with technology for 20 years. And I think uh, it's just because technology moves so quickly. And th this is my field. And I, I've, I watch how quickly technology changes. And I feel for school teachers and academics trying to keep up with technology. I think what changed with the pandemic is that there was no longer any excuse not to use technology. And so the example I often give is, is that idea of the you know the old-fashioned professor in the tweed jacket with the long beard and the and the and the chalk right the chalkboard and up until 2020 he had the opportunity if he wanted to to try and avoid using technology as much as possible but once 2020 hit and we were told by most universities across the world and certainly in Australia that we had to take uh, things online then we had to use technology we had no choice anymore and so that crusty old professor had to had to move with the times and so i think it's been something we've been dealing with for a long time and that's what i do in my in my workshops and various other things is try and help teachers think about how technology can improve their pedagogy but i think it's something that we've uh, we've been chasing for a long time You've described that that Yeoldi professor, I should say, for our listeners who can't see you, you do still have the long beard, but there's no chalk or tweed in sight. Uh, <laughs> um, but let's talk about your nickname, Professor Tech. Like going back to your early days, what came first for you, the teaching or the technology? It was the technology. For me, uh, and you're right, I have the beard. I'm waiting for my wife one year to buy me a tweed jacket with leather patches on the arms as a Christmas <laughs> present. But, yeah, in terms of Professor Tech, it was certainly the technology, right? I mean, I can cast my mind back to that kid in, you know, in single digits, right, and how passionate he was about technology. And I'm going to 
date myself here here but you know with the with the good old commodore 64 with the tape drive and the programming in basic and those were things that i was into when i was younger it wasn't until i got to university that i decided i actually wanted to teach and i predominantly decided i wanted to teach because i was a research student i did an honors year and they said hey do you want a tutor and i and we'll pay you and i kind of went yeah, that sounds good. And then I, I just sort of ended up tutoring for a few years. And then through the course of my honours and then my PhD, I realised that I actually really enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed what we've kind of already been talking about already, which is this idea of, of, of giving research and giving scholarship out, handing out the knowledge, disseminating the knowledge, sharing the knowledge with the students. That's definitely the bit that came first was the technology, but it, it eventually it sort of got chased by the professor thing. And I ended up as Professor Tech, which is, I, I call it my superhero pseudonym. It's like, you know, Superman and Clark Kent, but I'll, I'll go with nickname as well. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, pseudonym is um, an excellent term and it's great to know a bit of your origin story there. So you're now as Professor Tech going out into schools, seeing those kids, maybe like you in those six, single-digit age groups getting excited about technology, possibly not Nintendo 64s and basic programming, though. What things are you putting in their hands that they're most excited about? Yeah, look, it's, uh, we do a lot of work with virtual reality and mixed reality and augmented reality. And if the listeners don't know me uh, through my teaching practice, then often that's at our university, I think I'm known as the VR and AR guy. Right. Sometimes to the exclusion of the ed tech. And I have to remind people that well, no, I'm an ed tech guy. It's just the tech that I tend to use is, is VR and, and AR, virtual reality, augmented reality, mixed reality, generally sort of called extended reality. That's the, the overarching term. And we do that because it's, it's just such a transformative technology. Kids uh, really see how it can change what they do and it's so immersive sticking a, a student in vr and realizing that they've been lost in some other world they're swimming with sharks or they're walking through the Colosseum in rome or they're on the international space station all of a sudden they're no longer standing in an auditorium in blackwater or wherever it might be but they're actually you know they're, they're doing that other thing but let's be honest i mean the reality is most of them they'll play with it and they'll walk away and they'll have learned something about tech uh but it was just a fun experience, right? And that's why I'm Professor Tech, because it's fun for them to do it. The kids that I really like to talk to are the two or three kids that come up to me afterwards and they say, hey, look, I really enjoyed doing that. I really enjoyed sitting in the seat next to Neil Armstrong as they launched the Saturn V rocket. How do I make those kinds of experiences? How do I become an IT professional? And they're the ones I really, really, really want to talk to because they're the ones that are going to push technology forward. That sounds amazing. Um, and yeah, just so, so empowering for those kids. But then I guess that's where what you talked about, the evaluation comes in and the research side of your projects. How do you see it? And what does the research tell us about uh, how to connect with more of those kids and um, get more kids inspired for STEM careers and STEM futures? I think, look, I think there's, there's a, there is a balance between this idea of novelty 
and newness and this idea of, of sustained impact. And we see it with the teachers as well. I think a lot of, of STEM education programs for teachers, K-12 teachers, they, they push the novelty. They say, isn't this awesome? Isn't VR awesome? Isn't robotics? Aren't drones awesome? They're very cool. And they are very cool. And they're very cool to me in particular as an IT guy. And most of the people that run these programs are IT people. The teachers, they want to know about the pedagogy. They want to know how it can be used in the classroom and whether it's effective in their classroom and so when it comes down to evaluating things that we find that that's what they're actually really interested in they want you to come back and say uh, you know with paramedics yes uh, these 3d printed tools and this augmented reality app made these students better paramedics or the work that we do in in computer networking by building this model by allowing students to visualize a computer network using augmented reality we had a more effective classroom interaction with those students and we, we use things like action research and design-based research to do that kind of evaluation and to put those results up and I think in my discipline which is educational technology that's that's been a bit of a sea change over the last 10 years right when I used to go to conferences they used to talk about uh, the new thing right the intervention predominantly look at this cool thing that we built I think the conferences over the last five years have started to say well it's cool that you built it but is it actually useful for teachers is it more effective than than what we currently do and so I think we've we've built more rigorous examples of effective practice evaluate it using research Okay, that's encouraging, Ben, and yes, uh, sounds very meaningful in a space that is probably exciting by default as well, I'd say. Um, Michael, you talked about everything you're doing, which, which is a lot, but 2020 for you wasn't just a huge work here. So you have faced your own personal health battle in a pandemic. Like, can you tell us about that and how that's changed, how you think about maybe the themes of your work and your research and, um, and how we all learn? Yeah, I certainly can. I'm, I'm always happy to talk about that. Hey, wasn't it lucky that we had a pandemic? You know, in October <laughs> 2019, uh, my uh, cancer surgeon came back to me and said, we've done this routine colonoscopy and guess what? You've got cancer and and then and then a few months later we we had this pandemic and everybody was too busy worrying about the pandemic and so I had 12 months to to deal with that when I didn't have to worry about what was going on because I was staying home anyway right so it didn't really make a difference uh and maybe it's the engineer in me or the IT guy in me right is it which is very pragmatic he, he told me this and I said okay well what do we do and he said we well, do some radiation I said okay then what do we do we do some surgery okay we we do some chemo okay we can do that and then uh, hopefully after that we do some scans and you're cancer free which i was by the way which is very exciting news uh but uh, it was yeah it was good that i was able to sort of that we had the pandemic at the same time because it helped me to, to work through that process but something that i learned and I said this, I had a, a, a conversation with the Malaysian Cancer Society a few a couple of months ago, and I said this, which is that a for me, it was about having a positive outlook. and i don't I don't think you have to have that. Like if you want to hide in a hole and you know and ignore people for a year, that's entirely fine. You go and do that, right? But for me, it was just about, well, life just goes on, and I can't do anything about this, so I may as well just keep on doing what I'm doing. But in terms of doing what I'm doing, it was very uh, opportune for me to say, well, what do I 
actually want to achieve through through my work and i think i've often said and this is no secret right that that academics can get caught in the ivory tower we can get caught on doing our own work and conducting our research and publishing our our papers and achieving our grants and yeah yeah grant funding and h index and citation count is all really really important especially to some of the executive right uh but you know i think for me, I, I want to get down from the ivory tower and I want to engage in things like public scholarship, talking to the to the people and talking to the general public and helping them to understand, in my case, technology and its effect on society. Because for me, that's that's where the impact is. And so the challenge is balancing those two things and, and working out how you can continue to make sure that the uni is happy with your H index uh, while simultaneously uh, doing the stuff that you really want to do. And that's, I think, really what I learned. I was already on that path a little bit before I, before 2020, but I think I really picked that up in 2020 and went, no, this is, this is the thing that's important to me. It sounds like you took a amazingly positive perspective to all of that. So well done. Um, that takeaway, though, I wonder what about the specifics of um, how you use technology through the past year? Did that change while you were going through all that treatment and, um, and you know, disconnected from face-to-face working with colleagues and students too? We had to learn how to change. People ask me this often. Once you tell people you're an educational technology person, they say, well, how did technology change in 2020? And, the, the, I mean, the, the pat answer is that we all went online. Right. We all we all went, oh, we can't go to classrooms anymore. We're going to have to do all of this stuff online. And there's a reason that Zoom, you know, became so popular in 2020. It was already becoming popular, but Zoom became a household word. Right. It's, an, it's a word that you use to describe what you do now. And that to me is the ultimate of, of it becoming sort of synonymous with what we do in culture. But from a teacher's point of view, I think we had to we had to go, well, OK, we've gone online. How do we continue to make this effective? in terms of practice. So one example that I often give is I used to run my IT and society classes in a classroom. And in fact, I've started to run them again in a classroom. It's very exciting as of this term. Uh, But when I used to run them in a classroom, I used to have the students gather around tables. We had you know, 40 students in the room in Brisbane and we would gather them around a half a dozen students per table and then I'd assign them a job to do and I would uh, I would get them to talk about that topic and I would eavesdrop on the tables. And if you talk to good teachers, a lot of good teachers do this, right? They, they assemble all of the tables and then you wander around the room quietly and you just listen in and see how they're going and what they're doing. And if you can interject a little bit, then you drive the conversation, you guide the conversation, but you just kind of wander around the room. I tried to do that the first term that we went online and by using breakout rooms in Zoom. I broke them all into rooms of half a dozen students each. I then uh, sent them away. And then I would drop into the room. As soon as I dropped into the room, all the students stopped talking. They went, oh, Michael's here now. He's going to give us the expert opinion on this. We don't need to talk about this anymore. And so my existing practice just didn't work online. And I had to work out how to change my practice. And in, in, in that example, it meant I had to trust the students to talk about it without me eavesdropping. Because I knew that as soon as I tried to eavesdrop, they'd all stop talking. And so I, I would get them to practice uh, do it without me eavesdropping, but I would let them know that I wanted them to 
bring something back to the table afterwards. They pick a spokesperson, get somebody to actually talk to it when they came back to the room afterwards. And that brings a whole host of other challenges, of course, because um, I won't talk about it in detail, but there's an interesting change in dynamic between 40 students all on Zoom who are all equal participants in the in the conversation versus the 40 students sitting in the room where you've got some at the front of the room and some at the back of the room and some that talk more and some that talk less. And the dynamic actually changes quite a lot. So, I mean, my long answer to your question is that we, we, we've had to change our practice quite a lot, but the academics that I've seen do it successfully are those academics that are reflective enough to sort of realise that you can't just say, oh, well, now we're online, we've changed the mode, all of a sudden it's online, but we keep on doing what we're doing, and instead say, well, we've gone online, now how do we change our teaching practice to suit this? And, uh, I mean, that's a good reflective practitioner anyway, hopefully. I can imagine being in the tech space where, as you say, it's constantly changing, constantly upgrading, has made you a very adaptive uh, practitioner. Um but I know you're very adaptive to the research as well, what, what you found in your research and research you're aware of. Is there one piece of research that really informs how you teach or change the way you approached a classroom? Okay. There's the, the prevailing piece of research in my area at least, is this idea of uh, digital natives and digital immigrants. And the idea of digital natives and digital immigrants is actually pretty old. It was it was pioneered by a guy called Mark Prensky in 2001. So it's 20 years old this year, I guess. And Prensky said that basically if, any, if, if students were under a certain age and they were digital natives and they were au fait with technology, they were, they were, they were very good at technology, and if they were uh, over a certain age, then they were digital immigrants. And even if they could learn how to use technology, they would never be as good with technology as the younger generation. And for 20 years, people in my field have been fighting about Prensky's work, right? They've been saying, this is very generational and I'm, a, I'm an immigrant, but I take offence at the fact that Prensky doesn't think I'm as good at technology as the young people. And then conversely, and this is the really interesting bit, I think we've realised that uh, students that are younger, those younger people, even though they're good at technology and they totally are, like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll talk to teachers and I'll talk to parents and they'll talk about their two-year-old and he's better at his iPad than they are, you know, and things like that. So they're certainly good at technology, uh, unnecessarily good at the types of technology that suit our learning experience, right? So they're great at Facebook, they're great at Instagram, they're great at TikTok, maybe really, really good at playing Minecraft or Roblox or something like that, but maybe not so good at actually using technology for learning. And so for me, the, the work that's still going on, and we're still doing it 20 years later, is the work where we have to kind of understand that technology use is much more granular and much more nuanced than we actually give it credit for. And, and I raise that because I think most of the people that are listening will go, well, yeah, I, I assume that kids are awesome at technology. And when you find out that they're not or that they are but only in certain contexts, then uh, you can moderate again moderate and change your practice to to suit that kind of cohort but it, look in terms of new scholars david white does a lot of work at oxford university uh, with digital visitors and digital residents which is probably worth engaging with we're still doing some interesting work in this space i know that some academics here at cqu are thinking more about this idea of digital literacy as well 
One piece of your research that jumped out at me um, from a few years ago was uh, a work looking at uh, educators engaging students on Twitter. What's the today equivalent of that? Are there education designers out there creating classrooms in Roblox or something like that? Yeah, all sorts, all sorts of that kind of stuff. So the Twitter work is ancient. Well done. <laughs> so <laughs> that, that, that was a long time ago comparatively. But it was, I think the interesting thing about the Twitter work is that it was about giving students a mechanism for informal feedback in the classroom, right? So how can you, how can you provide feedback to the lecturer that you're struggling with a particular concept, that you want more clarity on a particular concept? And way back then, we said, well, why don't we get them to send a tweet? And why don't we put those tweets up on the screen as the lecturer is lecturing so that we can use those to modify our teaching practice in real time as we're actually teaching? Didn't work out so well. Tweets weren't a good uh, target, really. They were a little bit public. Uh, it didn't sure. work very well. But interestingly, now that we've all gone online and now that we're using Zoom and all of these kinds of things, we've had another opportunity for this kind of informal feedback. And so we have this opportunity for people in 2021 to use the chat function, for example, in Zoom to indicate that they would like uh, they would like a little bit more clarity or even just to talk with their peers. So forget the lecturer entirely and just talk with their peers about what's going on in the lecture to provide some more context on what's happening in the classroom uh, or, yeah, give feedback directly to the person that's teaching in terms of the thumbs up or the thumbs down or the go slower or the go faster buttons in Zoom. So we've we've got that informal feedback mechanism, but it, it took us uh, 10 years uh, after the Twitter work for us to actually have these tools and, and a pandemic apparently to have these <laughs> tools where we would actually do it. But uh, again, the trick, of course, for us as academics, as teachers, is to encourage people to actually use that stuff. And so I always try, and if you've ever been in a meeting with me, you'll see that I do it, right, you know, uh, to encourage that kind of informal water cooler kind of back channel conversation during a meeting. So people probably think that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not paying attention. But what I'm actually trying to do is in engage people in some co extra conversation, some informal conversation so that we can deepen what the vice president research or whoever it might be is actually saying. Got um, it. Obviously, CQ University has a big role in educating the next generation of teachers who hopefully will all be using tech in the classroom. What's, um, what's one insight you would love to share with with every teacher or education student about how they use tech? Well, let me take that in a slightly different direction. I mean, d directly to my colleagues and to, to academics. Um, I wrote a piece uh, for the Campus Morning Mail and that piece was about how regardless of whether you're a researcher or whether you're a teacher or whether you're a, a dean or a deputy dean or whatever it might be, a service person, right, that uh, everything we should do should come back to scholarship. Right. It should come back to that thirst for knowledge, which which I think is so important for us as academics. So if you're if you're thirsty for knowledge and you're interested and you're passionate about your area, then you can take that passion into your research and you can take that passion into your teaching as well. Uh, and the students will see it if you're a teacher and the, uh, the granting authority or people that are reading your papers will see it if you're a researcher, right? Because you're passionate about, in my case, I'm passionate about technology, but, you know, it could be, we could be talking agriculture, we could be talking farming, we could be talking 
uh, lots of different stuff that happens here in at Seeker University, right? Then I think that scholarship can inform everything you do, regardless of whether you're a researcher or whether you're a teacher, um, how you actually want to then use that scholarship. So, yeah, this, this is my call for being a scholar first, regardless of whether you're a researcher or a teacher or, goodness forbid, a deputy dean or a dean. <laughs> Great to have a message that's relevant to all of us. Thank you so much, Michael Cowling, Associate Professor of Information and Communication Technology at CQ University. You can follow Michael's work at his website, thecreatelab.com.au. CREATE stands for Collaborative Research and Engagement Around Technology and Education. That website also has links to Michael's LinkedIn and his Twitter, and he'd love you to connect with him. Next week on Impact, a research project that's aiming to keep kids playing sport by challenging parents to behave better on the sidelines. We look at the role of parents in sport and how important parents are in sport, but we also look at some of the things that parents might be doing that may be um, affecting children's enjoyment of sport and also affecting whether they stick around in sport. Look for that episode with Dr. Cassie Dittman next Monday and make sure you're following CQ University podcasts wherever you listen to get our latest episode every week. Thanks for listening to Impact Research Podcast from CQ University, where research makes real impact.